0: That whistle's for you.
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, my name's Denise Miner. I'd like to welcome you to this uh, DM Hall event uh, with Ian Rankin, who some of you seem to recognise. Ian's going to be, uh, I'm I'm delighted to say, Ian's going to be reading from his new book, which is the next Rebus novel um, called The Naming of the Dead this evening. And uh, it seems kind of... It's not just called that this evening, it's called that. (laughs) I don't know how loose you want to keep it, Um, I feel as if I'm screaming at you, am I incredibly loud? No? It's okay? It's alright? It just sounds that way to me? Okay, well, Ian hardly needs any introduction, he's practically the king of Scotland but I wrote a small introduction, a couple of lines. Um, As a PhD student, um, Ian misused his... That's what
0: he's supposed to do. He knows
2: exactly what he's here for, doesn't he? Uh, As a PhD student, Ian misused his grant to write, is it three novels you wrote? Uh, Yeah. yeah. Uh, The first of which is unpublished and his wife says it's the best novel he's ever written, so maybe one day he'll bring that out. Uh, One of those books was the first ever uh, Rebus novel. Uh, Since then he's written 17 Rebus novels. Yeah an almost infinite number, an almost infinite number of uh, Rebus novels, three Jack Harvey novels and innumerable stories. Um, This has nothing to do with anything but once I was at an award ceremony and Ian had been shortlisted for the dagger award for the best short story for the year and for that you get a little pin with two daggers across and he didn't win and I went up to him afterwards and I said sorry he didn't win and uh, he went like that I'm not bothered and he opened his jacket and he had two holding his collar down like a cowboy. (laughs) very arrogant, obnoxious man. Um, as well as all of that, he's, I, I was trying to write out the number of awards he's won. In, he's won almost everything, apart from the Booker, which obviously is a moot point, uh, because genre doesn't get considered for the Booker. So, um, And he hasn't won a Nobel Prize. He's won a Gold Dagger, the Diamond Dagger for the Lifetime Achievement Award, and an Edgar, a, um, several honorary degrees, an OBE. Uh, which he may tell us about the ceremony for. Uh, Apparently it was to do with the Oxford Bar. He didn't go to the Queen's House. Um, uh, He refused to go. He said it would be a rotten party. The the pervy was rotten, apparently. And um, uh, As well as that, he's a TV presenter. He's done a TV series about the nature of evil. Been on Friday Night Review, the Newsnight Review program a lot, and um, uh, it's not even to mention the two adaptations of the John Rebus uh, novels for television. And there's a Jack Harvey um, book being filmed next. Stay, pay attention to what I'm talking about. (laughs) Don't just doze off. I've no idea. Um, Yeah, I think they're actually filming here next week. They're filming one of the. Oh no! Yeah, no, that's a
0: short story. Uh huh. Short
2: story. Mm. Um, Okay, Mm. right. So. uh, the next Rebus novel is called The Naming of the Dead. It's out in October this year. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were going to interrupt me. And yeah. I'll stop talking now because October. I suspect you may be quite interested in the man next to
0: me. 18th of October.
2: 18th of October. It's and, published. Uh, fire
0: exits are there if there's a fire.
2: Fire exits are there. And uh, Mobile telephone's phones are off. off. Yeah,
1: Not
0: of on. That. Off. Did we mention it's, this event is sponsored by DM Hall? Excellent. DM um, Hall. I
1: have mentioned
0: that already. i uh, House housekeeping um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I was going to do it. Thank you, Denise. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well done. Um, and uh, she says before we went on, she said, I'm far too relaxed about this and uh, doesn't t- you didn't show. Didn't show <laughs> very, very uptight and professional. Uh, so this is the, the, this is the proof, which is what all authors, well, we don't always get sent posh ones like this, but it's basically the manuscript but corrected. And then they bound it up in the print of 200 and send them to very important people. Didn't you get one, I did didn't you? Get one. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> see, not read it yet. Nobody's read it yet, as far as I know. Um, nobody's had them yet. I was going to do a quick reading from *The Naming of the Dead*, um, and it begins on Friday, the first of July, two thousand and five. In place of a closing hymn, there was music. The Who, "Love Rain or Me." Rebus recognised it the moment it started. Thunderclaps and teeming rain filling the chapel. He was in the front pew, Chrissy had insisted. He'd rather have been further back, his usual place at funerals. Chrissy's son and daughter sat next to her. Leslie was comforting her mother, an arm around her as the tears fell. Kenny stared straight ahead, storing up emotion for later. Earlier that morning back at the house, Rebus had asked him his age. He'd be 30 next month. Leslie was two years younger. Brother and sister looked like their mother. Reminding Rebus that people had said the same about Michael and him. The pair he is, the spit of your maw, Michael. Mickey, if you preferred. Rebus's younger brother, dead, in a shiny handled box at the age of 54. Scotland's mortality rate, that of a third world nation. Lifestyle, diet, genes, plenty of theories. The full post-mortem hadn't come through yet. Massive stroke was what Chrissie had told Rebus on the phone, assuring him that it was sudden as if that made a difference. Sudden meant Rebus hadn't been able to say goodbye. It meant his last words to Michael had been a joke about his beloved Wraith rovers in a phone call three months back. A Wraith scarf, navy and white, had been draped over the coffin alongside the wreaths. Kenny was wearing a tie that had been his dad's, Wraith's shield on it, some kind of animal holding a belt buckle. Rebus had asked the significance, but Kenny had just shrugged. Looking along the pew, Rebus saw the usher make a gesture. Everyone rose to their feet. Chrissy started walking up the aisle, flanked by her children. The usher looked to Rebus, but he stayed where he was, sat down again so that others would know they didn't have to wait for him. The song was only a little over halfway through. It was the closing track on Quadrophenia. Michael had been the big Who fan, Rebus himself preferring the Stones. Had to admit, though, albums like Tommy and Quadrophenia did things the Stones never could. Daltrey was whooping now that he could use a drink. Rebus had to agree. But there was the drive back to Edinburgh to consider. The function room of a local hotel had been booked. All were welcome, as the minister had reminded them from the pulpit. Whiskey and tea would be poured, sandwiches served. There would be anecdotes and reminiscences, smiles, dabs at the eyes, hushed tones. The staff would move quietly out of respect. Rebus was trying to form sentences in his head, words which would act as his apology. I need to get back, Chrissie, pressure of work. He could lie and blame the G8. That morning in the house, Leslie had said he must be busy with the build-up. He could have told her, I'm the only cop they don't seem to need. Officers were being drafted in from all over. 1,500 were coming from London alone, yet Detective Inspector John Reba seemed surplus to requirements. Someone had to man the ship. The very words DCI James McRae had used with his acolytes smirking by his shoulder. D.I. Derek Starr reckoned himself the heir apparent to McRae's throne. One day he'd be running Gayfield Square Police Station. John Rebus posed no threat whatsoever, not much more than a year away from retirement. Starr himself had said as much, nobody'd blame you for coasting John, it's what anyone your age would do. Maybe so, but the Stones were older than Rebus, Daltrey and Townsend were older than him too, still playing, still touring. The song was ending now and Rebus rose to his feet again, he was alone in the chapel took a final look at the purple velvet screen. Maybe the coffin was still behind it. Maybe it had already been moved to another part of the crematorium. He thought back to adolescence. Two brothers in their shared bedroom, playing 45s bought down Kirkcaldy High Street. My generation and substitute. Mickey asking about Daltrey's stutter on the former. Reba saying he'd read somewhere that it was to do with drugs. The only drug the brothers had indulged in was alcohol. Mouthfuls stolen from the bottles in the pantry a can of sickly stout broken open and shared after lights out, standing on Kirkcaldy promenade, staring out to sea, and Mickey singing the words to, I can see for miles. But could that really have happened? The record came out 66 or 67, by which time Rebus was in the army. Must have been on a trip back. Yeah, Mickey with his shoulder-length hair, trying to copy Daltry's look, and Rebus with his forces crop, inventing stories to make army life seem exciting. Northern Ireland, still ahead of him. They'd been close back then. Rebus always sending letters and postcards, his father proud of him, proud of both the boys, the spit of your maw. He stepped outside. The cigarette packet was already open in his hand. There were other smokers around him. They offered nods, shuffling their feet. The various wreaths and cards had been lined up next to the door and were being studied by the mourners. The usual words would crop up, condolence and loss and sorrow. The family would be in our thoughts, in our prayers. Michael wouldn't be mentioned by name death brought its own set of protocols. The younger mourners were checking for text messages on their phones. Rebus dug his own out of his pocket and switched it on. Five missed calls, all from the same number. Rebus knew it from memory, pushed the buttons and raised the phone to his ear. Detective Sergeant Siobhan Clark was quick to answer. Uh, no, 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 you, you thought really? that was it. I did, like I did. You, you hoped. You, you were dearly hoping that was it. And yet, I was going to give you a tiny wee snippet from Saturday, July the 2nd. Rebus awoke to daylight and realised he hadn't closed the curtains the previous night. The TV was showing early morning news. It seemed mostly to be about the concert in Hyde Park. They were talking to the organisers. No mention of Edinburgh. He switched it off and went into the bedroom. Changed out of the previous day's clothes and into a short-sleeved shirt and chinos. Splashed some water on his face. Studied the results and knew he needed something more grabbed his keys and phone, he'd left it charging overnight, couldn't have been that drunk, and left his flat, down two flights of stairs to the tenement's main door. His area of town Marchment was a student enclave, the upside of which was that it was quiet during the summer. He'd watched them decant at the end of June, loading cars belonging to them or their parents, stuffing duvets into the chinks of spare space. There had been parties to celebrate the end of exams, meaning Rebus had twice had to remove parking cones from the roof of his car. He stood now in the pavement and sucked in what was left of the overnight chill, then headed for Marchmont Road, where the newsagent's was just opening. A couple of single-decker buses trundled past. He thought they must be lost until he remembered, and now he could hear it. workmen's hammers, a PA system being tested. He paid the shopkeeper and unscrewed the top top from the iron brew bottle, downed it in one which was fine. He'd added a backup to his purchases, unpeeled and ate the banana as he walked. Not straight back to the flat, but down to the bottom of Marchmont Road where it connected with the meadows. The meadows had been just that several centuries back, meadowland on the outskirts of the city, Marchmont itself not much more than a farm with surrounding fields. Nowadays, the meadows was used for games of football and cricket, for jogging or picnics, but not today. Melville Drive had already been cordoned off, turning an important traffic artery into a bus park. There were dozens of them, stretching to the curve of the road and beyond, three abreast in some places. They were from Derby and Macclesfield and Hull, Swansea and Ripon, Carlisle and Epping. People dressed in white were coming out from them. White. Rebus remembered that everyone had been asked to wear the same colour. It meant that when they marched around the city, they'd create a vast, invisible ribbon. He checked his own clothes. The chinos were fawn, the shirt pale blue. Thank Christ for that. (laughs) A lot of the bus people looked elderly, some quite frail. They all sported sported their wristbands and their slogan shirts. Some carried homemade banners. They looked delighted to be there. Further along, marquees had been constructed. Vans were arriving, ready to sell chips and meat-free burgers to the hungry masses. Stages had been erected, and there was a display of huge wooden jigsaw pieces laid out next to a series of cranes. It took him only a matter of seconds to spell out the words make, poverty, history. There were uniformed cops in the vicinity, but nobody Rebus knew, probably not even local. He looked at his watch. It had just gone nine, another three hours till kick-off, hardly a cloud in the sky. A police van had decided that its quickest route would entail mounting the kerb, forcing Rebus to backtrack onto the grass. He scowled at the driver who returned the look. The side window opened. What's your problem, Grandad? Rebus stuck two fingers up, willing the driver to stop. The pair of them could have a nice wee chat. But the van had other ideas, kept moving. Rebus had finished his banana. Thought about dropping his skin, but reckoned he'd be pounced on by the recycling police. Headed over to a bin instead. Here you go, a young woman said, holding out a carrier bag. He looked inside. A couple of stickers and a Help the Aged T-shirt. Hell do I want this for? He growled. She took it back, trying hard to retain the traces of her original smile.
2: Well, um, that's set during the G8 last year.
0: G8, the whole week.
2: The whole week. So what made you want to write about something that contemporary? Because that's a bit dicey, isn't it? You can get it.
0: Um, It is, but yeah, I mean, it can get old very quick, I suppose, uh, is one problem. But it was just such an amazing week for all kinds of reasons that as early as April or May that year, I thought there was so much stuff in the media and and I just thought this is going to be an incredible week in Edinburgh. What a backdrop to a crime story. And of course, the thought that went through my head was who's the one detective who just won't play any part in this whatsoever because the high Hegians don't want him getting anywhere near the, the, the bigwigs who are flying into town. And so he's, he's derailed his he sidetrack, which is how Rebus likes it, so it was a perfect opportunity. When a, when a murderer does come in, he's the only person in the station. And um, the murder well, a murderer, someone has fallen or been pushed or, or jumped from the castle ramparts um, at the end of a, a very posh dinner um, at which people like Jack Straw are present. And so Rebus is trying to interview all these people and they're all scuttling away. Um, not one to vent and the government are trying to cover it up and you know, various secret service people are around and it's not his city. I mean that's the amazing thing about Edinburgh during that week was it didn't belong to Edinburgh anymore. Um the police from all over the, the country came here and ran around like they, they owned a the place. Um and it was like being in a police state partly and like being in a state of siege. And just I just thought, what a great backdrop. Gotta use it. Um uh, which was a lot of fun but then you've got to get it right, eh? I mean you once you decide it's going to be that week, mm-hmm. people are going to pick you up and you know that didn't happen on yeah. the Monday, that happened on the Tuesday, mm-hmm. or no that didn't happen in Princess Street son, that was actually up uh, Coburn Street, and you know, <laughs> uh, and, no it wasn't the McDonald's they were attacking, it was the uh, Burger King, so, um, so there was quite a lot of work then, it took me a long time, I didn't actually physically start writing the book until the beginning of January, because it took me months and months and months to get, I got photographers, press photographers to give me all their right. snaps and their, their hard disks and everything. So I had hundreds and hundreds of photographs of everything that had happened. Even things I hadn't been at, I had sort of quite a lot of um, evidence about it. So I could describe the police horses and what the demonstrators looked like and everything. And it just, there were some nice anecdotes. And, uh, and, and also, I mean, the whole, yeah. the whole 400 page construct really has been put together only so that Rebus can meet George W. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> If I'm I'm being honest, Uh, it was complete manna from heaven when I discovered that George W on his 59th birthday flew into Glen Eagles by helicopter, got on his bicycle and bicycled straight into a police officer. (laughs) And put the police officer in, in hospital. And uh, George then spent... If you see any photographs of the G8 leaders all standing there, he's got, like, elastoplast on every knuckle from falling off his bike. It's Rebus
2: he hits, is
0: um, it? It's not Rebus he hits, it's Rebus who causes him to fall off his bicycle. <laughs> and then...
1: Uh,
0: and then scarters. <laughs> <laughs> So the whole thing's put together just for that one gag to get in there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. <laughs> and when you, so when somebody's killed Jack Straw's there, have you put other real yeah. politicians there? Mm. How did you handle that?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of real people in the book. Um, Annie Lennox, Bono, Geldof, Bianca Jagger, um, Billy Bragg, uh, Jack Straw, Gordon Brown, um, yeah. All I mean, sympathetically. Obviously. No, all sympathetically. Um, the way you get round it I think Denise and I hope I'm right. Uh,
1: <laughs> <You're looking laughs> is a bit that, is <laughs> that you,
0: you just quote them verbatim. Yeah. Anything they said that's in print or that, that you know you've got a transcript of mm-hmm. you can have them say it in the book and yeah. there's not much you can do about that I wouldn't have thought. Um, the
2: thing is, real dialogue often and real people are often so preposterous you could hardly put them in fiction. Well, that's true. Like I mean,
0: Bianca Jagger George made a fantastic, I mean, for my purposes, a fantastic speech. There was a GA Alternatives, which was like a, a summit in Edinburgh that was all sort of trendy um, alternative people. And she spoke at the Usher Hall and she said this amazing thing. She said, Bono and Geldof haven't just slept with the enemy, they've danced with the devil. And I thought, you couldn't have put it better for my purposes than that, because that's kind of what Rebus is thinking about the whole thing, he's quite cynical. And then, of course, I had to balance that with Siobhan, who's younger and a wee bit trendy, so she's actually up for it, and she goes on the march, and um, her parents come up from London and go on the march, so we get to meet Siobhan's parents for the first time. And um, uh, and then she gets a case of her own that she's got to solve. Um, But things just fell into my lap. I mean, after the G8 finished, we went on holiday up to the Black Isle, north of Inverness, And while we were up there I came across a place called the Clutie Well, Uh which is a place where locals have been leaving bits of cloth um, and socks and shoes and baby clothes and everything for hundreds of years as good luck charms. And so the trees in this glade, the trees are just dripping with old manky bits of
1: rotten rotten material.
0: And I thought, this is a crime scene if ever I saw it. (laughs) Um, So I just lifted it and put it in Ochterardor. And because Offaly is where Glen Eagles is, uh-huh. any crime that happened there that Rebus was involved in, he would have an excuse to go to Glen Eagles. Uh-huh. So that's how it, that's how I managed to finesse it that despite the High Hedges' best efforts, he does end up at Glen Eagles.
2: Um, what does uh, Rebus think about the musicians? Uh,
0: does well, he think
2: they're dancing with the devil, or is because because music is such a central part of his yeah? Well, he
0: quite he, I mean he quite he what he's very cynical, except he does sit in to watch the Who and uh, Pink Floyd on the the Hyde Park concert. Obviously, Um, and then Siobhan goes to the um, the concert on Wednesday night at uh, at Murrayfield. Mm -hmm. He doesn't go to that because it's all young youngsters, and he says it'll just be Travis singing up bloody "Why does it always rain on me again?" and uh, (laughs) which it it was, was yeah, it was, yeah, (laughs) and it was peeing down at the time. It was peeing down at the time. Uh, I know that because I wasn't at the concert but my wife and I stood outside and we could actually hear them singing it and the rain's coming hammering down <laughs> why is it always raining uh, yeah so what does he think about? it I mean I think he's quite cynical about the about you know um, the reasons why or the, the, the fact that pop stars think they can make a huge difference yeah. and um, he doesn't think they can whereas Siobhan thinks they can and I think I'm somewhere in between
2: so you said in both parts of the readings the first part says he's got a year until retirement mm. And in the second one, obviously they're talking about his age. Does, is Rebus going to retire soon? Yeah. how many books away one for those of us one more only one more Rebus book one more
0: after this yeah he hits 60 in the next book and um, um, he will retirement will be forced upon him by the the government you know because it's a, it's a legal thing that the police retire at 60 unless there's um, a fan of the books who's an MSP who's trying to get the law changed <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh, uh, I don't know how any real-life police officers would feel in years,
1: <laughs> just so a like fictional a detective
0: can <laughs> keep going, um, but God bless her, her name's Helen Eady. she's an MSP for five, and she has asked the justice minister, and the justice minister said, look, there are actually, there's a, a scheme called 30 plus, which means that cops, instead of retiring and disappearing from the scene, can pass their expertise on to younger officers. Problem with that being that Rebus has no expertise. That his bosses, <laughs> his bosses would want him to pass on to the younger officer. So, uh, um, so I'm kind of on my own petard, as it were. That I'm, because he lives in real time, yeah. when he hits sixty, I have this problem. But then the the wee insurance policy is Siobhan, obviously, because mm-hmm. she's 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 half his age, and she can keep going, and um, he can be on he can be a civvy but still helping out uh-huh. I mean he's still got a lot of contacts in the underworld and stuff so I'm not saying that there's only one more rebus book what I'm saying is that there's only one more rebus book with him as a serving police officer
2: but, but there can't only be one more rebus book because even if he retires he's still going to do what he does which is yeah. going down to get into trouble I know so it's true so and I mean, he, he has no, I mean
0: he's not going to disappear quietly into the sunset and retire to Marbella Open or, a bed and breakfast. No, or open my bed and breakfast. Can you imagine
2: staying out B and B. It'd <laughs> be like breakfast. faulty towers, wouldn't
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> faulty Towers would a bit much grumpier. A really <laughs> grumpy faulty towers. Um no I'd, I'd, yeah, because I mean you're right, he can't retire. I mean the job is everything to him. It's his whole life, he's put his whole life into it and it's the only thing that sustains him, so he will have to keep going in some uh, some way. Yeah, but you can't make them a private eye because it just doesn't work in the UK, no. does it? Private it eye novels. No, just, it doesn't. No, Just we can't. We don't believe in them for some reason. And
2: also, the, the jobs they get are tracking cats and things like that. That's and true. Rebus would strangle yeah, the cats. I
0: know. Or, or getting, getting sleazy photographs. That's right. People yeah. going in and out of hotels.
2: In Brighton, I think that was the 50s. Actually, I don't think. They really? Do they not do that no, anymore I don't no. think they do that anymore. No, I don't think so.
0: Uh, nobody, see, that's why nobody believes in private eyes anymore.
2: That's it. Well, um. Uh, talking about Siobhan, it'd be interesting actually to carry on the books with her as the central character because she is kind of the light to his dark. Mm. And that's—do uh, you think that would change the tone of the books?
0: Um, yeah, I think it might. I mean, I, I think it might. I, I mean, what stopped me in the past is that I didn't think I could write realistically about about women. And then I got really interested in her as a character, and she gets a bigger and bigger good. role as the series goes on. And, of course, now that, um, now that Alexander McCall Smith has proved that men can write about women. Mm-hmm. Um, In a really believable way. Madam Ramotswe, way, yeah. yeah. Um, I thought, well, if he can do it, maybe I can have a go with, uh, with Siobhan. Yeah, I think it would. I mean, she's learned enough from Rebus that makes her a good detective, but she's not nearly as cynical as him. And she does... Uh, the only thing is she does play by the rules, and cops mm-hmm. who play by the rules can be quite boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's why a lot of detectives, a lot of cops like crime fiction is because we get to break all the we get our characters to break all the rules that they are not allowed to break anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, Rebus in some ways is a throwback to that guy that in Life on Mars, that TV Uh show. You know, the 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 guy in the sheepskin jacket is kind of oh, that's Rebus. You know, it's the way that people used to police with a bottle of whiskey in the bottom bottom drawer. Yeah. And the idea of an interview was just grabbing them by the lapels and slamming them against the wall, (laughs) and saying, "Tell me what I want to know." I mean a, a real life cop detective uh, who I know in Edinburgh the only time he's really been annoyed with me was in Black and Blue when I do have Rebus push a suspect off a chair onto the floor mm-hmm. and he said Ian we would have got away with that 10 or 15 years ago but not now
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I and mean, that was back in Black and Blue which was in the early 90s um, so Rebus is a throwback but on the other hand the chief constable in Lothian and Borders used to say that he wished he had one like there's room for one like Rebus but only one
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, you can have one maverick in your in your force and that's about it So he does have a role to play.
2: What would you write about if you weren't writing the John Rebus then, apart from Siobhan?
0: Um, Standalone thrillers, political thrillers maybe. Um, I think there's a, you know, I think that, um, I mean, I'm just interested in in the way the world works, the the way countries work and uh, society works, and so that kind of book. But I think the thriller can do that as effectively, if Mm -hmm. not more effectively than other forms like the literary novel Um, and how you differentiate between the two, I'm not exactly sure. I recently accused, accused, um, Ian McEwen to his face of so being a thriller writer masquerading as a <gasps> literary writer and he was, he was absolutely thrilled by that was he? Yeah, yeah he was absolutely thrilled by that he said you know I said you use the form of the thriller especially on Saturday you actually use the form of the thriller um, uh, and, and just you know but it, it, somehow it's a literary novel not a thriller um, and, and he, was, he said yeah it's, yeah it's spot on and he's done it in previous books mm-hmm, as well yeah. so I think the barriers are beginning to crumble
2: what when, do you think about the high art low art distinction because you've <coughs> never been considered for the booker because you write genre and uh, uh, I don't know if you know this, but crime writing is regarded as sort of the dirty um, little sibling of the black sheep of the family in literary circles. I quite
0: like that, though. I mean, I do. I, do, I mean, I, you know, I do like the fact that we operate as a gang. Mm. We're the are the we're the k- kids at school you don't want to mix with. You know. Uh, we're, we're the ones um, with nits.
2: You're <laughs> 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 the smelly ones at the back of the bus with the fags.
0: Uh, I mean there is definitely this idea that crime writers are from the wrong side of the tracks, <laughs> isn't there?
2: But we are demographically different. If you had talk to crime writers, I think we are generally from more working class <coughs> backgrounds and uh, a lot more regional accents and far fewer Oxbridge graduates and uh, we are we are I think the that kids at the back of the bus with the knits. Yeah, I
0: think that's I never did wear mitts. Did you ever i them never no, wear knits. Mittens. Oh knits somebody <laughs> <I> said nits? <laughs> knits? I've never had knits in my life. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs>
2: You must have had nets. I've
0: never, once. Had, never had nits never in my life. Nits. And you know something? I'm going to get an itchy head now.
2: They're
1: and you've I'm got going to, and I'm well.
0: going to start scratching it. And look, he's scratching. Everybody's going to start, and we're all going to think we've got nits now because you've mentioned them. <laughs> oh, don't mention nets. <laughs> Nothing mittens. They only go
2: to dirty here, my mum says. So so you were a bogging kid.
0: No, clean here.
2: But uh, I'll clean here. But so, so, what do you think about that difference? You, you, do you think it's just a demographic difference? Or do you, wh- why do you think I'd never that?
0: really thought of your point there. And I mean, I, I actually, now that I think about it, I do I agree with that. Um, that there, there do seem to be, you know, sort of writers who. Um, from working class backgrounds tend to write genre fiction a lot of the time um,
2: because we need to make a living I think that's part of it is that kind of
0: work ethic that you've got to make, It's got to be, if you want it to be a job and you don't want to be suckled by the state all your life you're going to have to write something that people want to buy and mm-hmm. um, uh, and that tends to be uh, populist fiction. I don't suppose any writers ever go into the writing business thinking I'm going to write something no one's going to want to read, apart perhaps from...
2: I've read from, books like that, have actually. You? I, I, mean, think yeah, I, I think
0: Finnegan's <laughs> Wake would fall into that category, probably. I'm, I'm sure he didn't think he was getting a mass <laughs> audience for that book. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, I do think the barriers are breaking down. Crime fiction is, you know... All we can do, Denise, is keep writing better and better books that are relevant to the here yeah. and now and eventually the reviewers and, and everybody else will cotton on. Um, I was disappointed again this year with the long list of the Booker Prize, and you go through it thinking maybe one of the younger writers will be in there. Mm-hmm. No, nothing. Um, no, nothing that could even be construed as being close mm-hmm. to a crime novel. Um, so that is disappointing. But you know.
2: But they actually, they actually will not consider people because their genre, because apparently. Um, no,
0: well I don't know because I mean, publi- well, and this is getting boring a bit. Publishers can put any books in they want. They yeah. can put two. Used to be they could put two books in. I mean, my, I know my publisher sent books of mine into the Booker Prize before. They just laughed, and did, and Val, <laughs> Val, one year did get on a long list. Before before they used to print the long list. Before they used to publish a long list. Oh. It was a year when her and a and, and Oxford-based crime writer, two crime writers, were on the long list.
2: Tony Strong. Anyway, this isn't trusty. Sorry, this is gossip about. I know we've just got some, and and How's and the family, good. by the way? <laughs> <laughs> so you going on holiday? Uh, um, I wanted to ask you about Oban this year we went.
1: Uh, Oban, Oban,
2: Oban, top class. Yeah, it was lovely. You're looking for more crime sites. <laughs> You're supposed <laughs> right. to be in politics.
0: Actually, I went to Balamory.
2: Did you? Yeah, now
0: there's a, there's a crime scene waiting to happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the dark side of Tobermori. <laughs> there, there has to be a dark side.
2: What's the story? <laughs> That's
1: the tagline. That's
0: the tagline. Um, like, there's I a friend of mine called Jackie Lee and he's got a new album out under a pseudonym for some bizarre reason. Um, Sir Vincent Lone, and the, the closing track is called <laughs> Ballymory Death Chant. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic.
2: Anyone with small children could understand why that is. Um, I
0: like Ballymory.
2: Do you like Ballymory? Yeah. Do you like, uh, well, anyway, uh, I was going to say uh, the Teletubbies are in my head. And no, I don't free. like Teletubbies. Don't I'm like so Teletubbies. scared of them.
0: I like The Shiny Show and yeah? uh, oh, Pingu. You've got to like Pingu's Pingu.
2: Fantastic. Pingu's fantastic. You've got to free. like Pingu. I get my small children by the back of the head and make them watch Pingu, they're far to to get it, but I'm so keen for them to be fans.
0: It is is sad though when your kids go off to school and see babies is still on and you're still watching it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just watch the end of Pingu.
2: (laughs) But what happens? (laughs) Um, I wanted to ask you about your TV series Evil, which I find absolutely fascinating. How did that come about?
0: It came about because um, Channel Four wanted a TV series on criminology, history of criminology. And when we started looking, and the producer and me started looking into criminology, and we thought we came up against very basic questions like why do people do bad things? Mm -hmm. And when we started coming up against these, why do people do bad things? And why do we put them in prison? Um, Or or should we do other things other than put them in prison? We realised that we weren't talking about criminology anymore. We were talking about more basic, you know, more basic stuff. And so we devised this series that where programme one would say, what do we? You know what? What do we mean when we use the word evil? Does it mean the same things to same to similar different cultures? And has it always meant the same thing? Um, And then how do we define it? Uh, Where does it come from, nature or nurture? And that was programme two. And then programme three was what do we do about it, Mm -hmm. which was about you know imprisonment and everything else, and the death penalty. And so it was it was an interesting series to make. And um, I mean it was only ever shown once at something like seven o'clock on a Saturday Mm -hmm. on Channel Four, which meant it was up against The Price Is Right or something. uh, so it didn't get many folk watching it, and uh, and it's never been shown anywhere else great. or again. I so I, I did really enjoy me. I enjoyed making. I mean, I enjoyed going to um, going to the, the um, uh, going to Rome and being exorcised by a priest. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw that, but yeah. uh, you didn't see them scrape me off the ceiling, or oh, did you? Uh, <laughs> um, a big glassy grappa afterwards. Um, I felt great, actually. <laughs> did uh, you? <laughs> I, everybody should be exorcised at least once. That's um, a new
2: spa treatment waiting to happen. <laughs> I
0: know. No, it was it was it was an interesting thing, and. Um, uh, I've, 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 it was awfully hard work, so I've not done anything like it again. It is
2: graphed, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Traipsing around saying the same sentence 19 times. Yeah. It's quite boring. Can I do it?
0: Mm-hmm. Can yeah. I do it? Yeah. I'm like that as a writer as well. I mean, if you write it down, you think that's it. When someone says, no, I think we could do a change in this, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Editor wish to change my work.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then you say, all right then, you're right. Um,
2: I read something that you were thinking about writing a TV series script. And he said you found it awful hard going because it was like writing by committee. And yeah, yeah, and You weren't just allowed to like change the ending before they started Everybody shooting gets it Everybody
0: yeah. gets a say, and mm-hmm. and yeah, they get you to change bits of it that you don't really want to change. And there's a short story of mine, um, very, a film very loosely based on a short story of mine, The Acid Test, being shot just now in Edinburgh. And, um, uh, you know, that went through... F- I, I didn't write the script, mm-hmm. but I went through about nine or ten treatments and scripts before the BBC were happy with it. It was actually a mate of mine who wrote it, and he's done a really good job, but it bears no resemblance to the short story whatsoever, yeah. apart from the title. So it's really quite like the Rebus TV series. What do you in think that about that? <laughs> What do
2: you think about the TV series?
0: Um, well, I mean, apparently with this new series we can't stop. I've got to be careful what I say, because if we were amongst friends, it would be fine, but there are journalists in the room. There's bound to be journalists in the room. I make the same mistake every year. always say something that gets into the paper the next day. Um, no, I mean, people... T- I don't watch it, but people tell me that they've really... Just taken the titles of the books and radically changed the storylines.
2: Everything's been cleaned up, all the stories have been cleaned up. Right. And
0: And, and they've also, I mean, it's only an hour and a half, which with ad breaks is an hour and a quarter, which is 75 pages. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot you can do in 75 pages that's going to be left of a 500 page, 400 page novel. Um, So the script writers obviously had a hard job to do. but yeah, so, but very successful, apparently. I mean, Basically, lots of good. lots of viewers, it and it's sold to a lot of territories, and they're just finished making four more. Mm-hmm. So it keeps going. It keeps trundling along, mm-hmm. but with no input from me whatsoever.
2: Yeah, that's probably the best way. I it? think so. I mean, you either get totally involved
0: or... Well, that's a shame. You see, they could have taken the jokes out of the books. So D- that's not mind that so hard,
2: is it? They could take the jokes. No. Do, you, do you like the TV series? No? There's a lot more. Well, lots of people do. Maybe not people who who are hardcore fans, but yeah. But
0: you know, even if you're a hugely successful best-selling author in the UK, you might sell half a million paperbacks. Mm-hmm. Five or ten million people will watch it on TV. That's even it. if it's not very good. That's right. Yeah. That's even right. Not, you know. Yeah. So you're you just hope that a percentage of those people will go out and buy your books.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a trade-off. Good. That's what
0: you hope for. Yeah. Um, and it's been interesting to to hear folks say what you know um, Ken stott has been doing with the character, because um, you know they've made him a Hibs fan, which is shocking. <laughs> uh, I, I've been so careful in the books not to make him either, you know. you know, he supports the five football teams. No Hibs, no Hearts, because you know, every time you get in the back of a taxi, what team does he support then? Um, you know, I mean, I once did a talk about that evil series, and somebody stood up at the end and said, you know, your 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 thoughts on evil were really interesting, Mr. Rankin but come on, Hibs or Hearts?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then they go
0: and make him a Hibs fan. Uh, which he isn't in the book, so I was a wee bit annoyed with that, but especially because Ken Stott is a die-hard Hearts fan <laughs> in real life, and he said that one of them, he goes out onto the pitch, he goes out on Easter Road, the Hibbs pitch, and he goes, yes, and he said that it was the hardest thing he'd ever had to do as an actor, <laughs> and this is a man who's played Hitler, a man who's played Hitler on screen. <laughs>
2: Um, I can't actually hear people talking about football, so I don't really know what you just said. It just sounds like... Yeah, in my yeah, head, because yeah, yeah. I, I live in Glasgow. Quite right to it. Um, so Thistle fan, then. You just go off to a <laughs> quiet place, yeah. That's the politics thing to say, Thistle fan. I went to a Thistle match once, and uh, we'd been there for half an hour, and I said, so when are the big team coming out? And my pal said, this is the match, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, there was just uh, oh, It was just so boring. It was just like watching the anthill mob running up and down a bit of green. <laughs> it was just
0: <laughs> tedious,
2: <laughs> tedious, tedious um, stuff. So, but Wacky th- Races, that's another good series. That is a good series, yeah. yeah. Um, but s- can I mention uh, the conversation that we had a minute ago about your, uh, what you're thinking about doing?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It doesn't involve a machine gun or turning on you or anything like that. In about 10 minutes, I'm going to ask you if you want to ask Ian a question. So if you want to sort of drone out while Five we minutes. talk about this thing that's of interest to us, and uh, and you could... Um, Just talk amongst yourself while we talk about your this. Yeah. But um, you're... you're uh, Possibly going to be writing a series for DC Comics, aren't you? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but because because you've made it. um that it you, to by telling everybody you're well, going? Well, you've well you've you've made it. You know, um, acceptable. You know, it's <laughs> acceptable now. You've, you've raised the bar, as I keep saying, for um, for comic book writers. Because Denise has been doing John Constantine Hellblazer, for the last seven issues. I think I'm right in saying. And um and, and they contact they've contacted other writers, mostly crime writers, mm-hmm. and said, Do you fancy try to do a character or, or someone from the DC universe? What a great email to get that was when I got that email. <laughs> um as a lifelong comic book fan. And um so but then I thought, I but I'm a bit busy with Rebus, I'll get back to you and I never did get back to them. And it just jogged, my, jogged me. Well, we emailed last week, and I, I gave a pitch and idea at them, which they got very enthusiastic about. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> do you tell them? Uh, no, I'm not well, going like like to tell them. i are not All right. But it, it would be a John Constantine Hellblazer uh-huh. um, uh, sort of standalone, either a graphic novel or a seven-parter. Um, but we've not signed on a dotted line yet, so who knows? Who knows. But, uh, but uh, I would love to try doing it. Uh, it's another wee box I can tick. You know, uh-huh. had a CD, uh, tick. Been on stage with a, a rock guy, tick. Um, presented um, Nick Cave with an award at the Q Awards tick
1: did you yes
0: stood next to Jimmy Page at the same time tick <laughs> <laughs> put my arm around Jimmy Page went like that and said somebody take my photo <laughs> tick that's so cool Ian that's really no, I was, cool, wasn't, wasn't cool. Wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't cool at all I was running around with this huge big shit eating grin on my face <laughs> I was sitting at a table for lunch with the Sparks brothers and Ian McCulloch with and the bunny Man. what a table <laughs> um, did
2: Ian McCulloch take his fur coat off
0: he didn't take his gla- sunglasses off. <laughs> I don't
2: think he's mail. got eyes.
0: No, nah, he's not. got. <laughs> he's not. He's, not
2: he's an alien. He's such a rock star. He's an
0: alien. He's like the guy next, man. Um, <laughs> I no. So, so yeah. So, comic book would be great, but it, it might happen. It might not. I mean, I, I hope it does. I hope it does. And I mean, what else am I doing just now? I'm doing. I'm. Do, I'm going to make some. Uh, I'm making. A, <laughs> I'm making a documentary for the BBC about the writing of Jekyll and Hyde. Are you? Which is oh, be going to be out towards the end of the year. um because, you know, lots of good stories about the writing of Jekyll and Hyde, like he burnt the first draft or he burnt the, the, the novel because uh, his wife didn't like it and, and just started again. Um, and he was on prescription drugs at the time, which were giving him hallucinogenic states of mind. Um, uh, and it's really about, you know, it's really about a polite Edinburgh gentleman whoring by night. It's what it's right. about.
1: Yeah.
0: It's about the kind of, you know, the society that Robert Louis Stevenson grew up in and he didn't really want to be part of it. Um, so, yeah, that would be interesting.
2: And is that one part or two ah, parts? it's just parts? an hour.
0: It's just an hour, and it'll go in, a, in about December the same time as the acid test, the play, the film that they make. Fantastic,
2: wasn't so, it? Yeah, oh, very busy. Uh, busy for a lazy guy. Uh huh. Yeah, I know. You fit it in, don't you? You must work. I mean, you tour all the
0: time. I don't. I don't. know. D- really. I don't. I don't tour all the time, and I don't work all the time. Um, I, I try and work as little as possible,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I try and do as little touring as possible. I try and do as much sitting in Starbucks as possible, mm-hmm. um, which writers can call work. Mm-hmm but it isn't really. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I'd call that work because I don't like the coffee. I would call that
0: work. Okay. Oh, I love their coffee
1: though.
0: Do you? I do, I do. I felt a bit embarrassed a few weeks ago. I'm going to drop another name because a few weeks ago, JK Rowling walked into the coffee shop and she saw me and she came and sat down and uh, I could see she had this like, folder with her with paper and pens and that and I thought, Christ, if, if she wasn't talking to me she'd be writing the next chapter <laughs> and, and I, I, mean, basically, number one, I thought, how much is that worth that chapter that she's not writing? <laughs> is that a 50 grand day just down the toilet? As far as she's concerned, and then I thought, if any fans find out that I stopped their writing, they will kill me. <laughs> <laughs> they
1: literally, will kill me. Literally, they will, literally. <laughs> they will
0: kill me if they find out I stopped their writing for for an hour. So yeah, quite fun though. Yeah, we see writers. We do. We sit in coffee shops and we we pretend to think great thoughts.
2: And you're just thinking, when can I get another? How much caffeine can I fit into my body? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do I need another skinny latte
2: <laughs> before home? And you go out like that. <laughs> no, right. Feeling anxious for no good reason at all. I, sh- I shouldn't. I
0: mean, I used to I, mean, I used to have terrible panic attacks, and part of the problem was caffeine, and uh, I was supposed to have cut it out of my diet, and I'm back into it again in a big way, and... Uh, Starting to have the panic attacks again. You talked about that on
2: Desert Island Discs that you had panic attacks in London, and that's uh, yeah. That and you they made.
0: started in London when I was working in London, and uh, but I got rid of them by jumping on a train and going to Scarborough, mm-hmm. which I found a very effective way of getting rid of panic attacks. you think, Thank God I don't live here. Nothing Can't to panic, nothing to panic about in Scarborough. <laughs> out of season. Um, and just walked up and down the beach listening to Van Morrison on my personal hi-fi. And when we moved to France, I still I had them bad time in France as well. I remember the first time it happened in Miranda, my wife, said to me, just put this paper bag over your face. I thought, what, you mean, because you're embarrassed to be seen with me?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cut two wee holes in it and just walk around. Um, but no, that does it, that works, that, can, that helps mm-hmm. you control your breathing and stuff. There's all these, you think when it happens to you the first time that you're the only person in the world this has ever happened mm-hmm. to uh, and also that you're having a heart attack and then you find out there's wee self-help books and yeah. everybody you know, everybody and their, 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 their grandmas had these panic attacks mm-hmm. at some stage and you can't control them. Mm-hmm. But it helps if you cut out the caffeine.
2: It does, yeah. My friend phoned the doctor and was having a panic attack and he said breathe into a paper bag and she thought he said a paper bag. So she was breathing <laughs> into a paper bag.
0: <laughs> and speaking to him at the same time.
2: Didn't help, didn't help. Breathing into a paper bag. Maybe one of yours, I don't know. But, uh, right, well, we've got about 15 minutes, which isn't very long for the number of people. Could we bring up the house lights, please?
0: And the roving mics. The
2: roving mics. The Oprah Winfrey moment. Now, feel free to cry. Or share anything you'd like to with the group. And Who's I'm this a person
0: at the front who hasn't come? Look, reserved. What's these names?
2: The Vink. The Vink, I think that was the Dutch people that had to go and get their flight. On today. the hit list. On the hit list. Yep. There's a lady with her arm up before Already? the house lights even went up. Jeez. She's such a fan. <laughs> this is a big audience. It's massive. Bloody hell. Um, I was wondering when you're going to hopefully um, executive produce a Rebus series so that we can get. Uh, uh-huh. I have to be careful about what I say here now, um, a decent rebus on TV, um, and so that they don't do the sort of things that you've just described, i.e. changing things around, that we actually get the rebus books
1: on screen.
0: You see, I think it's the nature of television at the moment, is that they're trying to get everything into an hour and a half. If it's ITV, it's an hour and a half. Um, and that just, you know, I mean, that's fine for the viewer's short attention span. But it's terrible for any any books that are being dramatised because you have to cut out so much, you have to strip out so much of the character of the book, you're left with just the bits of the plot. Um, but I'm not sure that... I mean, you know, there's an old adage that good books don't make good films. Bad books can sometimes make exceptionally mm-hmm. good films, but it's very rare that a good book makes a good film. Um happened with LA Confidential, actually, mm-hmm. when I think about it. A good book became a good film. Um, so, I mean, you know, if I think I write good books, I might think they're never going to make good TV or film because... Good books don't do that very often. Um, I don't know. No, I mean it's. I would have loved it on the big screen. I would love to have seen Rebus on the big screen um, just for the sheer effect in a cinema. Yeah, and great. I think Edinburgh. You see, the Edinburgh isn't utilised yeah. enough on screen anyway. Um, it's such an amazing city, and even when things are set here, they're not filmed here. Mm-hmm. Um, Rebus is filmed in Glasgow. Uh, Trainspotting was filmed in Glasgow um... because to save money because that's where the actors live and that's where the camera people and the sound people and the makeup people all live um, and the executive producers all live there as well because it's a much more happening place than Edinburgh Edinburgh of course a tiny backwater It's actually
2: better, uh, it's because property prices are so expensive poor people who work in television can't afford to live here that's why they all live in Glasgow. <laughs> 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 <Kind of> right. <laughs> I think what he really means is he'd rather spend his time kicking about in Starbucks than, than put all the effort into making a TV yeah. series Is so. there another lady up there with her hand up? I was just wondering why Ian chose Denise to um, conduct this discussion because I'm a big fan of Denise and wondered what he thought about her books. Oh Everyone right. else refused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the uh, 20th person. I, d- I didn't
0: choose. I didn't choose Denise. I mean, um, she was foisted upon me by uh, <laughs> uh, by, the, by the by the executive. Um, no, I was thrilled because uh, we've done very. F- Little together on stage, really. Uh-huh. Um, uh, despite having the same publisher in the states, um, uh, and yeah, I mean, when Garnet Hill came along, I thought a breath of fresh air and um, uh, and just a really different take. On the, and I could see she was coming to the the crime novel from a different place from a lot of crime writers um, because of your background and what you were interested in and. Uh, uh, Professionally, before you became a crime writer, so I mean, and I think you know the Paddy Meehan books. I think are going to be yet another huge success. How many are they going to be? Five, you uh, think?
1: Yeah. five
0: five. Um, see, I don't think like that. Do you know I don't even know be? what the next Rebus is going to be about. I just
2: want them to be finite.
1: I just don't want to. Uh, well, that's true. That's a
0: good point, actually. Yeah, so make it five. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I do, and I, I mean, I do think this is a this is a, an exciting time for for crime writing. In Scotland and coming out of Scotland, I mean, even the front of the New York Times recently ran a profile piece on, on Denise and mentioned other Scottish crime writers in mm-hmm. uh, a nice wee sidebar. So even in the states, I mean, you know, there was Val, me, Louise Welsh, Chris, and Chris Brookmyer mentioned, All and that was just scra- that was just that was just scratching the surface. Yeah, it's that it really was scratching the surface. Work out um, so and and um, Alan Guthrie, recently Edinburgh crime oh. writer, got shortlisted for the Edgar for best first novel, yeah. an American like the American equivalent of the dagger and Ken
2: Bruin's enormous in the States and you know you well he's Irish, Irish he's Irish from, Irish, Dublin, Irish, from Dublin
0: from Dublin are, are we trying yeah. to bring him into the yeah, d- Celtic crime trying to join community. in as if I knew what was going the on the Celtic now. crime Clearly writing don't. community yeah that's right no he's no, yeah. big in the States so it is it's great um, and, and we do operate as a gang which is fantastic as well mm-hmm. we're not like these literary authors we don't stab each other in the back all the time
2: Actually, I'm quite. Uh, We'd rather stab each other in the front. I'm quite two-faced. <laughs> Not even is very confrontational, and so is Val. So the opportunity to be—I um, don't think either of you two could shut up long enough to stab anybody in the back, <laughs> insulting people to their face. You're unprofessional. That's what Val says to people. Is there any other questions? There's what? a man over there with his hand.
0: There is a man over there. Well spotted.
2: Oh, I know. Eagle eyes.
0: Uh, you speak quite pejoratively about other members of the literary community, but I mean, why why do you feel it's necessary to sort of segregate yourselves into some kind of discrete community within the literary world as writing a crime novel? I mean, don't you approach it as sort of like a literary act in and of itself, as opposed to setting out a crime novel? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I don't think we did. I mean, when I wrote the first rebus novel, I didn't realize there was a, a genre called crime. I mean, I knew that people had written crime novels in the past, but I didn't know, I didn't read crime fiction, so I had no idea. That I was going to end up, and I mean it wasn't my idea, it was the waterstones or the bookshops putting it in the crime section because they've got a crime section, they segregate you from the start. Um, Libraries tend to take Mm -hmm. the crime novels and horror novels out from the literary novels and and general fiction, well not even general fiction. Um, And so when that starts happening um, and then you find out there's the the Crime Writers Association, you think well I might as well join them um, since nobody else wants me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you, you find yourself by accident a crime writer. Um, I don't think I I set out to be a crime writer as such Um, I I was, you know, the person I was most enthralled to was was William McIlvaney who'd written, a Glasgow writer who'd written three crime novels but had also written literary novels and won the Whitbread Prize and all the rest of it Um, but I thought, oh, it's okay I looked at his books and thought well it it must be okay to write crime fiction you must get taken seriously because he writes them and he's taken seriously as as an author Um, but it just didn't quite happen that way Quite happen. so I don't think we're responsible for the segregation as such. It's just that once it's happened, we're, we embrace it and uh, and make it a strength um, rather than a weakness.
2: But it is—it's very marked. If you're a writer and you write a book and it comes out, it happens to be marketed as crime because it can go either way. Some crime books are marketed as as literary fiction, and uh, and it is quite random. And then you suddenly realise you're not invited to a lot of festivals because you are crime you're not listed with people you're not up for the same prizes as people um it's treated completely differently and and really is regarded as you know um very very different from the like the, the marks are there and it's you know so Mind when you, there are some
0: right turkey crime writers out there. I mean, there are some <laughs> god-awful crime books out there. Mm-hmm. Really are. None
2: of ours, obviously. No, no,
0: no, no. But there are. But I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of um, stuff that's pretty much unreadable. But there's an awful lot of literary fiction out there that that's I find right. pretty much unreadable that's as well. right. Yeah. Uh, which is why the distinction we tend to make is just good books and bad books.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, but I think it's the whole, whole high art, low art distinction in all art forms. The Ron Muick exhibition, has anybody been to see the Ron Muick? Um, which is like you know big uh, very realistic statues and that's looked down on by other artists because he used to be a model maker and he worked for um, Spitting Image was it or something like that and that's really looked down on because he actually makes his own things now if he just thought the idea up and got someone else to make it then it would be high art but (laughs) it's all very random you know and it's uh, anyway we're uh, slightly obsessed with it probably.
0: You sound kind of a slightly obsessed with it. I am
2: quite, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I mean, I'm really, I, I, now that I know the difference, I'd rather be a crime writer. There you go. Um, uh, b- Happy because days. Because I think it's much an easier, a, a much more interesting kind of thing to move in. Happy days. Happy days. Any more questions? <laughs> this gentleman down here. We're trying to space out the speakers as much as possible. To make you run. Keep you on your toes. <coughs> <coughs> I was
1: going doing?
0: to say something, i forgot what I was going to say.
2: A bit crime fiction? Christ knows.
0: You you talk about the uh, good books make bad films and bad films good books. So how would
2: you feel about Da Vinci Code, film, and
1: <laughs>
2: film and book?
0: Um, well, I mean, hand on heart, I haven't read the Da Vinci Code. Uh, I've not read it and and I've not seen the film, so uh, I can comment on it as freely as I like, I suppose. <laughs> um, my my wife told me not to read it. She read it and said, "Don't bother reading that." And uh, <laughs> I, her critical judgment is excellent, so I just. St- that was it for me, but I do feel—I mean, you know—there's there's a lot of sneering about Dan Brown and the quality of his writing. But this guy has actually served his time. I mean, he's 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 he'd written books in the past which had had no critical or commercial success whatsoever, and he kept on going. Um, and then, of course, got the payoff later on. But I mean, he didn't just come from nowhere. Uh, and I think he thought he was writing a good book. I don't think he was writing a bad book, and I don't think he was. He, he was writing a, was a bad book. I'm sorry. He was, was he? Writing well, I don't think I, th- I don't, don't think he it. thought he was writing a bad no, book. No. And I don't think he thought he was writing a badly written book, which is what most people's um, take when it seems to be. is that no matter how clever the plot may or may not be, the, right, the actual quality of the writing is bad. Um, but then, you know, I like Jilly Cooper. So there's, mm. you know, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people laugh at me because I like Jilly Cooper novels, but I do enjoy, actually, her latest one, I'm toiling a wee bit with her latest one. I took it on Holiday Women, I didn't read it. <gasps> Jilly will be heartbroken,
2: that will be won't. in the paper tomorrow. In Dan Brown, there are bits where he's cut and pasted the same description into two different bits of the book.
0: No, that's not good, right? That's
2: pretty short. Sure, I mean, it's monstrous, shorty. Have you read the book? You haven't read it? No, no Good
0: to see. It's two of us that haven't read it. Am I the only person
2: who's read it? Oh, I feel as if I've been no, tricked. <laughs> 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 Any other questions? Ian, I've just read one of your early books for the first time, Watchmen,
1: mm.
2: and Miles Flint, your spy. Master. I think that there's room for more of him once you finish with Rebus. What do you think?
1: Um,
0: well, that's terrific. I've actually got a copy of Watchmen here because that's what this is wrapped around. Um, <laughs> because, because the book isn't finished yet. So uh, look, Watchmen. There you are. Yeah, um, no, actually, I mean, when, I did, when it was going to be reissued and I had to read it again uh, to do the introduction, I, I did enjoy it and I thought he was an interesting character. He has got elements of Rebus about him. Um, I just love the idea that he's a professional voyeur. I mean, that's what spies are. Mm-hmm. They're not glamorous James Bond type people, they're professional voyeurs who get their kicks from watching other people's lives, um, which makes them rather like novelists, mm-hmm. actually, as detectives are, looking into other people's lives. Um, so, yeah, he was, a, and I did leave it open at the end. So, I think definitely more books of that, you know, can, as I said, literary thrillers, no, not um, political thrillers, that sort of thing. Um yeah I mean i oh you know this, this, everything's open for discussion as far as I'm concerned, but like I say, I've got one more rebus to write, and uh all I've got so far is a title, so it's uh, What's the title oh no no no, no no, no. <laughs>
2: that's, that's a rubbish title
0: <laughs> yeah, it's called doctor No <laughs> we're
2: just entertaining ourselves now aren't we? Um, are um we've maybe got time for one very yeah, quick question one. there's a gentleman up there with someone up.
0: at the risk of being patronising, I have read a lot of your books as well and at the conclusion of every year, all your books, all the eyes are always dotted and the T's always crossed and Rebus gets his man. Have you ever considered writing a book about the perfect crime where all investigative techniques fail, both huh. as crime writers? Uh, I don't think the, the I's are always dotted and the T's are crossed. And I know that's true because my American publisher made me add an extra chapter to let it bleed because the ending was too open. It, you know, he walked into an office with some evidence and you never found out what happened, um, uh, whether he was taken seriously or not. So I don't think, uh, as always, I mean I would be frustrated if it was a closed universe like that. In fact that's one of the things I don't like about traditional crime novels, mm-hmm. is that closed universe. Um, there's no room, there's no breathing space, everything's tied up, everything's, you did it, you didn't do it, you blah blah blah. Um, uh, that bit where the detective gets them all in the room and tells them why they didn't do it and who did do it. Um, so, no, no, I don't think they are. But, I mean, I think a lot of readers do like that about crime fiction in general. They like the sense of closure that we give to life um, because in, a, in real life you don't always get answers to your questions mm-hmm. and in crime fiction you get answers to most of them, I would say.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Well, the lights have gone down and that's I know. It, are we dying? Am <laughs> I dying? You are having a story. Am I going, you
0: now? Am I going right? now? You are, Can I have a quadrophenia like? plane as I go? LAUGHTER
2: um, well, that's the end of the event now. Before we finish up, before we applaud Ian for, Applaw. for what he did here this evening, good or bad, um, um, or indifferent. Can I ask you, or indifferent? Can I ask you not to storm the stage or try and attack Ian on the way out? <laughs> He's going to be signing left and left again um, once you go out of the tent, and if you could wait until then, just so that there isn't just just, just a giant mob of um, people um, standing around him. And uh, I think we've mentioned it's DM Hall, who have sponsored the event several times. So sponsored really it damn cool well things. as well. Very, very well. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you too. Thanks, Denise.